Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Civic Report. It's March 30th, 2023, and we're reporting for the news of March 27th to April 2nd. We want to make sure that you're informed with the current legislation that's going on in the states around you and in your state if you're in the United States. We want to make sure that you've got the right tools to prepare for any kind of conversation you may have with your loved ones about what this means to you and how it impacts our communities. This week, Elliot Owenby from the Transformation Projects, Noah B of the Trans Radical Activist Network, and Biff Hartwell from the Blossom Revolutionaries sit with Athena Pramakis and Caroline Penny. All right. Thank you again for listening to the Trans Narrative Civic Podcast, uh, the Civic Report here for our podcast. Uh, Elliot is with us here now. Elliot, uh, would you like to introduce yourself and your organization, what you represent? Yes, my name is Elliot Owenby. I'm here on behalf of the Transformations Project, which is a trans-led grassroots 501c4 nonprofit organization based on actionable, accessible, and accurate information on the anti-trans legislative crisis in the U.S. Excellent. That's a great resource for us to have. And you're here to prepare a report and uh, uh, share with us some of the actions that are being taken over the last week so we can keep abreast of some of the developments. Uh, So what's been happening in courts and legislature uh, in American politics in general over the last week? Yeah, we have some big updates from Florida and Missouri. Also, some good news from Maryland and surprisingly, Tennessee. So we can get started with Florida. Florida is interesting. Uh, Florida has uh, taken into effect a gender affirming care ban for minors without changing the law at all. No, no legislative change has really taken place. Uh, Governor DeSantis has been known for targeting LGBTQ rights, especially parental rights, and has recently introduced a don't say gay bill. He initially claimed that this would be for young children only. However, the bill is going through K through 12. So this alongside the gender affirming care ban for minors, which took into effect March 16th, is just really sweeping the entire state of Florida. Oh, yeah. So it's the executive action is taking precedence over the legislative branch. So uh, the check for that's still going to be in the courts. Have we had any indication of any uh, upcoming cases to try that or is it still uh, in development for rollout for uh, for teachers, how that will affect us? It seems to be still in development for rollout. There's also a multitude of anti-trans bills in the works in Florida, and they are all in different stages. Some are about to be signed by the governor or about to be sent to the governor more so. Others are still in the House or Senate, and some are just currently being drafted. So where are we at then in the state once these laws do get signed into effect? Are you safe to be trans at any age? Are you safe to be a parent uh, of a trans child or a trans parent of a child? Uh, what, what's the what's the state look like after this? Yeah, it looks like there would be heavily limited gender affirming care available for minors. So if you are a parent who's affirming their child, or even if you are 18 living on your own, it uh, looks like you will be unable to receive any gender affirming health care under any insurance, state sponsored or not. And it looks like if you are within that K through 12 range, so if you're a minor in the education system, you won't be able to receive any education on queer topics. And these don't say gay bills will often target teachers as well, uh, banning any discussion on 
whether they are queer themselves or even something as simple as pronouns. Yeah. Uh, and it seems more than anything that discussion just is what they're trying to to bar, not only from the schools, but even within uh, the legislative legislative bodies as they try and kind of lock down conversation and force through bill after bill. Um, so have we had any major resistance, any uh, any highlights that you'd seen in, in Florida in particular from uh, representatives uh, who are there to protect us? Uh, Florida is very back and forth, it seems like, when it comes to the anti-trans bills. They've had some victories with things being shot down. However, it is hard to take the legislators' words for these. Many will claim certain things, certain topics. For instance, Governor DeSantis said the Don't Say Gay bill would only focus on young children, and the bill is for K-12. through So even if legislators are coming out saying, hey, I am not in support of this, it's tricky to tell if that is actually genuine. Mm-hmm. And the efforts that they've made to restrict in schools uh, unapproved uh, literature has led for teachers to uh, paper up the covers of the books that they even have uh, in any books that have not passed any kind of review. Um, for Florida here, we, we kind of got disrupted in the middle. We can take that mm-hmm. cut for what that is there. Um, uh so we were speaking about just uh, books and banning and specifically how that's targeting like different uh, segments of the population. Um, where were we at here as far as like moving forward with these bills uh, affecting school kids uh, who are even 18 and older, who are legally adults, preventing them from making informed and rational decisions as part of the agenda of the government, it seems, in, in Florida? Yeah, it's really impacting a lot of important education and also bodily autonomy that comes with being an adult. Being 18, but still in high school per se, it's been a weird, it's always a weird sort of iffy gray area. But having that ban on what you can do with your body and what you're able to learn in school, when you're the same age where you can join the military and get a tattoo, you're still banned from covering and discussing queer topics or even potentially seeking out gender affirming health care. It, it's it's this blatant hypocrisy, but the proposers of these bills, they don't care about the hypocrisy. It The hypocrisy doesn't matter to them. They will blatantly say this is fine, but this is not even though they're on the same level. It's about uh, control and they'll say it's about family values, but presenting other people as valueless is, seems to be their approach uh, to devalue the lives and worthiness and perspective of queer human beings uh, isn't an acceptable loss. And I don't think any Floridians should accept that or put up with it. Um, so moving on from Florida, do we have uh, other states we need to cover, of course? Yeah, another state that's been hit pretty bad is Missouri, which I know you are very familiar with. Uh, Missouri's attorney general, uh, very inspired by Texas, it would seem, used executive action to heavily restrict gender affirming care via an emergency action, uh, which means that even if the health care ban fails in the state Senate, it would still go through. And it also seems unlikely that a healthcare ban would fail the state Senate. They've been very pro gender affirming healthcare bans. 
uh, the attorney general, uh, Andrew Bailey, he claims that the law already lets him just restrict gender affirming care for minors, but he is using very flimsy and in air quotes, scientific justifications for this. Um, absolutely. To call it an emergency is pretty disingenuous when it's the same kind of care that's been in existence for a long time. Just people are now more aware of it. The emergency of people being more aware and more knowledgeable about their bodies and what they can do with them doesn't sound like the kind of thing that uh, government should be uh, shutting down, uh, you know, uh, having open policies and openly encouraging us to discuss these things would be more in line than trying to shut down or make a protracted uh, event out of, of transition or making it traumatic. Specifically, the attorney general has stated that there will be a year and a half uh wait for people to become or to be on uh, gender affirming hormone treatment, uh, things like that. There'll be a mandated 10 one hour sessions uh, and there cannot be any comorbidity. So people who have other um, issues like uh, depression, anxiety or other mental, uh, you know, things that could be considered part of it would be uh, prevented from that care, even if it would resolve those issues by being prescribed that. So it's specifically pretty uh, disingenuous to say that this is to protect kids in an emergency situation when it basically denies kids can have two problems at once. Yeah. And being being transgender doesn't automatically mean self-hatred and being inflicted trauma, but being a trans person, whether you are in the closet or discovering your identity or fully out and proud it comes with trauma and stress in the United States, even though we are not, we are by far not the worst country to be a trans person in, but we are not exactly stellar. So denying rights for trans people based on the potential impacts of just how society has been treating them is it's heinous. And it also, what they define as a comorbid uh, condition that could be heavily up to interpretation. Uh, even something as simple as, for instance, I have fibromyalgia. That is chronic pain. That doesn't really impact my gender identity, I would say. But that it can be spun in a way to where a chronic pain condition or an autoimmune disease can be comorbid to gender dysphoria. Well, and yeah. that just wipes out the right to seek gender affirming care if you are chronically ill or disabled. And specifically through hormones, there are effects that compounds with can compound with other conditions. So like if you have high blood pressure and take testosterone, things like that, your doctor needs to be aware of that. But if you have informed consent, it's still not your legislator's right to take that conversation away from you. Uh, just because, you know, you have other conditions in your life doesn't mean you can seek, uh, you can't, you can't seek that kind of, uh, uh, resolution to uh, to your distress in other areas. So why do we specifically target this particular issue? Uh, if we aren't seeing it as a an actual healthcare issue, but as some kind of cosmetic uh, thing that's addressing, you know, sort of just surface level or, or maybe social uh, kinds of contagion ideas that are out there. That's why we have these sort of panicked uh, reactions to it. And they take the most extreme actions at the easiest possible 
uh, outs to it. Um, so that does mean right now that there'd still be a possible delay, but these things will hit the courts. There will be plenty of actions and opportunities for people to take. Um, but it doesn't mean that anybody's out of the fight necessarily just yet or uh, unable to receive the care that they need in our state. So that is a that's still something that we're hanging on to here. What else do we have happening in this state? I, I don't have much other news for the state of Missouri, but I do have some good news that we can discuss a little bit. Okay. Uh, Absolutely. I believe last time we talked about the Maryland Trans Health Equity Act. This is an act that would cover gender affirming care. I believe also birth control and other like care under Medicaid. Uh, it has passed the House. It has passed the Senate. It has not gone to the governor yet, but Maryland's governor, Wes Moore, has pledged to sign it. And he has a track record of sticking to his word, unlike previously mentioned legislatures. So the Maryland Trans Health Equity Act is pretty much as good as passed. Absolutely. And that is right in the heart of our capital. So uh, representation from transgender people in these uh, states that are so close to our hearts of governance means that the, our legislators, whether they are coming in for or against, are at least exposed to people who are like us and show that, you know, it shows that we are common in common with them uh, and having a, a refugee state like that uh you know i don't want to move but knowing that i have options and i don't have to uh, look at other countries is is definitely still a comfort uh, other um sorry other states have also uh, proposed some things do we have any other actions happening uh as far as like a uh, trans uh, protective bills yeah i believe um California has been a trans refugee state. Uh, I believe there's a couple other states that have the ideas in the works, but nothing has gotten that far up in the legislative. Minnesota's passed to the Senate from the House where it was signed. And after that, the signature, it, it seems to be pretty uh, insured for people in Minnesota. That will be uh, one of the rights they're guaranteed there as well. Um, any other major news we need to cover? Yes. So last time we discussed Tennessee SB 841. And for those who aren't great with numbers, I don't blame you. This is the bill that would require an entertainer's permit to uh, perform drag. In essence, it requires a permit if you are a presenting or entertaining person who is an impersonator of the opposite gender. And it was so vague and up to interpretation and incredibly heinous once you start to break it down uh the good news is that bill died in committee so it didn't even make it it's not even up to the governor it's just good as dead good good so no permits for uh performances uh i know like uh Dolly Parton, for instance, has said, if I was uh, born a man, I would have been a, a drag queen for, for what I do. Uh, and she's kind of been a part of the uh, passive defense of, of allies. Um, but still, I, I do want to be able to perform and play in public. Uh, and I'm not a drag performer. I simply present as myself. It's the gender on my birth certificate now. Um, but if I had to get a special license for it, just to bring out a guitar and busk on a street corner or or uh, you know perform uh, next week with the transgender day of visibility i'll be out there i don't think that requires any special uh skill on my part for uh standing on stage and using one name versus another 
Um, so yeah, the all of the discrepancies that they want to try and nitpick on can be applied across different gender boundaries and things like that. So they're meant to be sweeping bills to catch up the bias and use the bias to pursue other means to discriminate. Yeah. There's also the question it with a bill as vague as this you really have to hyper analyze what every single word means there's also the question of what does entertaining mean is, is that being up on a stage is that delivering a speech is that sitting at a table in a restaurant with your friends like if you are talking to a couple people is that public performance could that fall under the bill and luckily we can continue to analyze it, but in terms of actual legislative action, nothing can be taken place on it. That bill is gone in the past. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so many it's joining as well. Um, and these will be the typical case here. So we still have, of course, plenty of other bills that are moving forward that will have impacts on us. But uh, we at least don't have to worry about licensing just for, uh, I don't know, busting out at karaoke one night. Yeah, it, it it is a very fortunate thing that that bill died in committee and did not make it any further. Absolutely. Um, any other actions we need to talk about today? Then? No other state legislative actions that I have, but I do have uh, some notes for the Trans Day of Visibility, which is coming up. Absolutely. Please do share. We'd love to see how our listeners can uh, get involved uh, in this uh, situation. I've got uh, a local group that will be having a transgender day of visibility that I'll be part of as well. I don't think I'll be sharing the details on here because it's a national national kind of audience. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about what we can do for transgender day of visibility to make sure that we our voices are heard uh, and that we are seen in public. Yeah, being able to just stay up to date and educated on the legislative legislative actions that are being taken in the U.S. That is so important. And March 31st is especially the day for that. I know there's a couple nationwide events that are happening, one of which and for note, I'm not a member of the organization. I'm simply going to be partaking in it. The March for Queer and Trans Youth Autonomy, it is hosted entirely by queer and trans individuals age 25 and under. And seeing the work they've been doing has been incredible. I, once again, I don't speak for them whatsoever, but they have marches in every single state, including DC. Mm -hmm. And, and it's 5 p.m. across the country. Is that right? On the 31st? Yep, that is correct. And it is no secret that trans youth are being unfairly targeted by these bills. And it's particularly heinous since the voting age is 18 and all these bills are targeting people that cannot vote yet due to their age. So having these queer and trans youth be able to stand up, speak out no matter where they are, including the nation's capital, is something so inspiring to see. And I'll... I am close in close proximity to D.C., so I will definitely be there. Absolutely. Um, definitely exciting to see our youth marches. There are plenty of other uh, events happening nationwide. Uh, if we uh, can host some spaces here to share uh, on that, uh, we want to be able to host a space for everyone to share where they can participate and plug in. So we'll try and make sure that we provide the materials uh, for anything like that that we can provide for Transgender Day of Visibility. 
Each week on the Trans Narrative Podcast, we want to highlight a piece of the bigger stories that impact our lives, the laws and attitudes and cultures that can help or hinder us as transgender people in the United States. The stories that cisgender people want to tell for us or about us are going to be missing in critical details. They won't help us to clear up our perspective. We want to show how we've struggled, how we are struggling, and also how we will overcome. Hello, this is Aria with the Trans Narrative Civic Report, continuing our section of capturing the narrative. And for my section today, I wanted to talk about three major historical events in the history of LGBT rights in the United States. Um, I'm assuming anybody who is is listening to this has heard of the Stonewall Riots, but not as many people have heard of the Compton's Cafeteria Riots. So the Compton's Cafeteria Riots uh, was a riot that took place in San Francisco, California, and it was in a cafeteria called Campton's sorry, Compton's Cafeteria. It was um, known in San Francisco as a popular hangout for transgender people, predominantly transgender women, in a time in San Francisco's history when um, trans women were often excluded from gay and lesbian bars because of transphobia that existed within the broader gay community. So in the 1960s, Uh, Compton's Cafeteria was commonly raided by the police um, because it was known as a trans person and drag queen hangout spot. And at the time, they used laws about, uh, quote-unquote, female impersonation to arrest trans women and drag queens. Um, One day in the year 1966, um, one trans woman, in an attempt to fight back against the police, threw a cup of coffee in the face of a police officer, which triggered a larger riots um, during the attempted arrests. This ultimately led to to a greater visibility for trans people and LGBT, LGBT people more broadly in San Francisco and abroad as well, and also led to the creation of a number of Uh, transgender awareness and transgender wellness groups in the city of San Francisco. The second um, big historical um, events that I wanted to to highlight was uh, Cooper's Donuts. So the Cooper's Donuts riots took place in 1959. Um, They were at the restaurant Cooper's Donuts, which was a, another common hangout spot for LGBT people in the city of Los Angeles. <clears throat> um, very few places were accessible to LGBT people back in the 50s. Um, again, female impersonation was illegal in most of the United States at the time. And once again, uh, this riot was sparked by police attempting to arrest people in this Cooper's Donuts restaurants. And the um, people there responding by throwing donuts, amongst other things, at the police. And this led to the police leaving without making the arrests that they had intended to make. And also is widely considered to be 
one of the first, if not the first major protest or riots um, uh, for the LGBT community in the United States. So the other thing I wanted to share was the White Knight Riots. Uh, this was a riot that took place after the death of famous LGBT rights activist Harvey Milk. For those of you that don't know, Harvey Milk was one of the first openly uh, gay representatives to be elected to any position in the U.S. government. He was a part of the... Um, he was part of the government in San Francisco. In the 1970s, uh, Harvey Milk, along with George Mascone, the mayor of San Francisco at the time, were assassinated by a man named Dan White. And Dan, uh, with the help of a great amount of funding from the San Francisco police, made it off with the most lenient charge that someone can get for a willful murder, which was a voluntary manslaughter. And this very lenient sentencing led to the White Knight riots, in which many protesters came together to protest the the um, lapse in justice in the San, San Francisco judicial system and San Francisco policing. Uh, thousands of people showed up to this protest and had uh, many altercations with the police. And in response to this, uh, then Mayor Diane Feinstein uh, became the, um, <clears throat> who later became the senator, uh, promised to appoint a a uh, pro-gay uh, police chief to uh, the San Francisco Police Department. And that is how that turned out. So what do all of these have in common and also why am I showing them? So I am showing these things because in the face of a growing deeply fascistic movement against the queer community here in the United States, predominantly against trans people, we can all get a feeling of disempowerment and not know what to do next and feel like our role as individuals and even our role as small communities feel, feels like it can't make a difference. All three of these different historical events that I brought up were brought about by individuals who came together in the form of a community and they took action and more often than not these community actions serve the purpose of expanding the community of drawing attention to these issues of getting public support for the lgbt community and also pushing back against a uh, a right wing that wants to see us gone and they did so successfully and I have no doubt that in our current time, we can do that as well. But we have to be willing to take the action to do so. Civil Liberties Defense Center has a great page on how to become a legal observer for protests. Um, if you're at all interested in doing this, particularly if you have experience in dealing with the law, if you're a paralegal, a lawyer, what have you, um, this will be a great resource for you. Even if you aren't educated in the law, they offer, um, they offer training to become a legal observer so that you may oversee protests and make sure everybody 
particularly the police, are behaving themselves. <clears throat> I also highly recommend activisthandbook.org, which gives some very useful advice for people who want to be protest and riot medics. And I, I, I know our very talented co-host and editor will include these, include these links along with the segments. So yeah, the overarching point that I have for bringing up this information is do not feel disempowered. There were, there have been protests started by throwing a brick or throwing a cup of coffee or just one individual standing up for themselves against oppression. And what that did was set off a wave of supports for marginalized people <clears throat> in the face of fascism, counter LGBT efforts to put us back in the closets. There's a lot of feeling of dismay and hopelessness, but there is hope. There is hope. Individuals can absolutely make a difference. Communities of people can absolutely make a difference. And with that, I thank you for your time. I yield my seats back to whatever show you're watching. Caroline, whoever it is here, take it away. Welcome to uh, the uh, Trans Narrative Civic Report. I am Caroline Penny, and we are on the latter half of our Civic Report. Earlier in the episode, we had heard from Athena Pramakis and Elliot Onbe from the Transformations Project. And we just heard from Arya Lackey as they captured this week's narrative. And so with that being said, we would like to spend the remainder of this episode with um, Biff Hartwell and Noah B. Uh, Biff Hartwell is a affiliate of the, um, the Blossoms Revolutionaries uh, in Chicago, Illinois. And this week is uh, the uh, week of Trans Day of Visibility, March 31st. And so what we'd like to do here in the next few minutes is talk with Biff Hartwell about uh, some of the things that uh, we'd like to see done with this rally and why we're doing it. And then we're going to speak with Noah. Uh, Noah's here with us, and they provide interactive maps across the country. They're working on that. They're really trying to raise awareness of what's going on. They're part of a network, but we're laying low right now. So um, with that being said, I would like to open up the floor. Um, first off, I'm Caroline Penny. My pronouns are she, her. Biff? Hi, Biff Hartwell. He, him. Awesome. Noah, Noah B. I'm Noah, and my pronouns are he, him. Awesome. Well, it's so uh, good to have both of you, both of you here on the Trans Narrative Podcast and the Trans Narrative Civic Report. Thank you for uh, spending this this afternoon with with us here today. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's it's it is Blossom Revolutionaries singular. Um, but in yeah, we're located here in Chicago, and we're helping several other organizations um, with nationally coordinating protests. Um, the largest organization doing this is Queer Youth Assemble. Um, they're located or they're they're organizing the march in DC. And then their website actually has the most updated map of the marches and rallies and things that are happening across the country on March 31st. Um, here in Chicago, we're more focused on like broader um, trying to make these events into a larger movement and have it be a kickoff event. 
um, some of the rhetoric that we're trying to change is we're trying to remind people that this, you know, there's no such thing as a law that only targets transgender people. Gender expression is something that every human being has a right to. And when it's restricted, every human being is restricted in their self-expression and their happiness. Um, and we'd also like to emphasize the importance of direct actions being like repeatedly taken over time. Um, so we're trying to make these events a place where people can organize and plan future events. Um, and so we, yeah, we, we do think that a protest in itself is not going to be effective if people use it as a way to write off, like I've done, you know, I, I've, I went on and did the protest, I did my part. Um, now things should change for the better. And even legislation shouldn't be, I think, our prior, primary target. Um, social revolution that changes people's minds and allows them to be more open-minded and makes people understand that trans people and cis people are not separate groups. Um, they are not a binary either. Um, everyone at any point should have the ability to express themselves the way they want to express themselves. Um, so that's why these, these events have sort of more of a celebratory um, feeling to them than in the past these kind of events have had. Um, we're just trying to emphasize, emphasize the the joy of self-expression. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And Noah, I know that you are uh, actively working to provide interactive maps across the country for a variety of um, groups, such as the, the the legislation that's being passed and a few other interactive maps that you're making. Could you tell me, uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So um, what we're doing right now, now we're developing interactive maps. The first one we've released so far is our anti-LGBTQIA plus legislation map. But overall, we're going to be covering, covering pro-legislation. And it's honestly something that people don't really talk about a lot is like all the good legislation that's getting proposed um, because it's being overpowered with the anti-trans uh, legislation at this time. Another map that we are working on is highlighting the lives that have been lost. And essentially what that map is going to entail, it's going to have a little bio about the person that was lost, any media coverage, any important facts, ways to donate um, if there's links available. Um, essentially spreading a visibility on the lives that have been lost has been very, um, very underreported in a sense. So I feel like people don't really talk about like the actual number of people that have lost their lives. I mean, in 2022, like over 60 of us were gone and people don't really highlight that there was over 60. They're focused more on the violent part and more so I would actually argue that even suicide is violence in a sense. But on that other topic, moving on, another map that we are working on is we are working on hate groups. So essentially, we want to spread visibility about the hate groups that are out there, because a lot of people don't really talk about, like, how many hate groups that are out there. Like in California, for example, we have dozens of hate groups, but people are going under the assumption that California is safe. We have a Proud Boys chapter where I'm at. We have local Nazis. We have Gays Against Groomers. We have Moms for Liberty. They're out there. And so I think it's very important that people are made aware of like what these people are doing, like if they have events that are uh, going to be coming up, we want to encourage people to show up and to fight those narratives, like particularly what they're doing is attacking the school boards and school meetings. So essentially, if they have an event, for example, that they're going to go to a school board meeting, we want to make sure that we let people know like, hey, these hate groups are going to be at these school board meetings. Let's show up, counteract it, get your voice heard. 
Another map that we're working on, we're actually, I'm actually collaborating with somebody at the Transdo Task Force um, Network. Um, they are going to assist me in helping um, creating a trans lives missing map. So essentially, because that is also not very talked about either, because there's a lot of trans lives that are missing and people are not talking about it. So I'm going to be working with them in terms of creating that map. Another one I want to create is a resource map. Essentially, at the end of the day, it's an overall temperature of states. I am going to provide a, a political temperature in the legislative map, but I want to be able to provide a overall resource map. This can include any organ, uh, any rallies that are going to be held. This can include local centers that can be used as a resource, just anything. So that way we can make our community safer and we can mobilize if need to. Absolutely. Where can our audience find links to some of the already uh, active maps that you have out? So the active map is on our webpage. So transradicalactivistnetwork.org. It is under our resource section. I also put a copy of the map in my link tree. Okay, awesome. You said transradicalactivistnetwork.what? transradicalactivistnetwork.org. Org. Okay, awesome. That'll be linked in the bio for our audience to go to if they would like to explore more of those interactive maps. We're very grateful that you have provided those with us. Um, Biff, let's talk a little bit about uh, exactly what it is. You said this was a kickoff event. So when you say kickoff event, could you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that? Yes. Um. So like I said, we think that if this was, protest was isolated, if this day of, of demonstrations and rallies was isolated, it would not be effective. Um, you know, my grandparents have been advocating for things since the 70s that <laughs> our generation is still asking for the same freedoms that we have not been given. And so we think that the tactics that have been used in the past have not been enough and they've not been effective. Sometimes they haven't been the right approach at all. Um, and so there are several different ways we're using these events as a kickoff. First and foremost, um, we're trying to get as many queer organizations that are local to the events to attend as possible so that the community can connect with them. Um, I am trying to connect more national organizations. Um, I'm organizing a round table of like representatives from different organizations who are going to meet, I think every other week. Um, we haven't had our first meeting yet, but I'm still gathering people for that. Um, basically, we think that coordinating nationally is the best way not only to show unity, but to actually get attention on these things. Um, you know, the media on all sides has been really terrifyingly quiet about the stuff going on. And so um, we've realized like, you know, the more we can collaborate on doing things at the same time, the more we can combine our volunteers and things to make a larger event, the more likely we'll get to get the coverage we need to show people who aren't directly involved in the queer communities um, in these areas to realize like this is a big problem. People are really being affected by this. So what are some of the safeguards that uh, are in place uh, locally and nationwide that will ensure the protections of those that do attend these uh, these events on March 31st? Um, so every protest is different since um, although they're being coordinated nationally, each protest has a different organizer or group of organizers. Um, clearly, organizations that are larger and more established usually have more resources. Um, they can maybe hire security and things like that. Um, but for every march, we're emphasizing that people try and get um, it to be as visible as possible. So like a, a strong presence of the press at any event is a good way to just across the board um, to stop things from getting violent. Um, but at the end of the day, 
there's no way to ensure that any protest or demonstration won't be made violent. Uh, usually that violence is caused by the police or by counter protesters who show up and try and make things violent um, to sort of turn people against them. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about us having solidarity with each other and emphasizing peaceful measures at this protest. Um, in the future, I do believe acts of civil disobedience are going to be necessary. Um, and of course, organizing those things is going to take more effort in terms of um, making sure everyone can do it safely. Um, and so those are usually going to be smaller groups of people. Um, and, and, you know, from what I've researched, it, it seems that that would be more effective. So these larger demonstrations, if they become violent, they basically just become riots that seem that that fail to make a point. Um, and so, yeah, in these, I believe that the celebratory aspect of these protests is also going to make them a lot less likely to turn sour. Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't want your prayer. We want your solidarity. So Noah, um, working with, uh, some of those interactive maps, you said at one point that you're working on or beginning to work on some maps that, um, help us identify the hate groups, I guess, uh, or the counter protesters uh, around. Do you have any information about anything that is being spoken about on the internet by these hate groups about what's happening on March 31st? I have not seen specific ones about March 31st. However, Gays Against Groomers is aware about our event and they are already spreading misinformation about it. And so what I'm assuming too, I actually just checked my Twitter just now. Um, there's other accounts that are including March 31st right now. I can't tell you specifically. All I can tell you is that they're all right-wing assholes. That's all I can really say. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I where that gag is talking about it. As we, uh, or I'm sorry, Biff, where can our audience, when as we're listening, uh, this is, we hear this is happening nationwide and locally. Mm -hmm. So where can, on both of those levels, where can our listeners find access to uh, the events and find more information about that so they may attend themselves? Um, Queer Youth Assemble actually has a national map on their website, which their website is just queeryouthassemble.org. Um, and they have, I think it's queeryouthassemble.org slash state marches, but you should be able to get there just from their website's homepage. Um, and that has a, you know, little markers for every one of the events. And they also have attached any like links that are relevant. Um, and that's the one that I believe is being updated uh, most frequently. Uh, Biff, you had said something, uh, it was interesting you had said in the last 10 years, it's interesting to note that it was in 2013, the summer of 2013, that the World Health Organization had finally taken gender dysphoria off of the DSM-5 and no longer classified it as, quote, uh, a disability or, or at the time mental illness. And um, it's it's and that's something that you brought up is that, oh, well, there's more people coming out today than ever before. Well, in the 1970s, the stigma against people using uh, not using their left hand to write was was dropped. The stigma against against that was dropped. And what, what do you know? People with, uh, wrote with their left hand. We, who'd have thought that when you stop stigmatizing a group of people, they would come out of the, the shadows and say, hey, yeah, I write with my left hand. And so yeah. when, uh, when the World Health Organization, uh, I think one of the, like, the highest levels of, 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 of people that ever see like a broad group of networks uh, comes out and says, yeah, this isn't, um, and this isn't a disability, then people will come out and say, yeah, I 
I, I identify that because that's not, that's who I am. I'm not, I'm not, I, that's, this is just me. And that's, and that's something that we do see. And so as we have these conversations, it is important to note, despite the fact that, that it is a very scary time, this is a very scary time. Sometimes I look at the calendar and I see, I see a 19 before the 23, because I'm thinking that's really what we're experiencing. <laughs> but um, we are becoming more accepted and that we are getting more representation as hard as it is to see right now. Um, we are having trans and non-binary gender non-conforming people in the spotlight. Jim, uh, Kim Petras just won a Grammy uh, in her category and Laverne Cox. And there are people of all transgender people and gender non-conforming people have existed all of eternity. But the whitewashing of history has has taken away the culture, the beautiful, diverse, inclusive culture that that has existed for for eons is is being rewritten because of Western um, capitalistic patriarchy, and we don't get to see that beauty. So, um, as we move forward, could you provide us some light, Biff, on where we can go and and how we can navigate through this really hard time that we're in? Yes, um, I I think I, I agree with what you're saying about how basically there's a social contract. Um, and we have been involved in this, not just, and it applies to our government as well. You know, this country is supposed to represent us and it is supposed to protect us. And when the country fails to do that, when society fails to do that, um, they are not upholding their end of the contract. And that is why it is our imperative that we do not continue blindly upholding and following the same rules that they're setting for us when they do not follow the rules and expectations that are set for them. Um, so I think as everyone goes forward, we need to mobilize um, and take active direct actions. Um, in terms of the march, the, the marches on March 31st, um, like I said, Queer Youth Assemble's website, queeryouthassemble.org is definitely the best place for resources and information about that. Um, but I would recommend searching your local organizations, you know, queer organizations in your area, or if there aren't any, you can start one, or if you think they're not doing enough, you can start one too. Um, I just say to everybody, you know, now it, now it is imperative that we take action um, because whereas before we were just invisible and we could keep being invisible perpetually, we are not visible and the public opinion of us is changing rapidly for the worse. And we need to be able to not just combat that, but stay strong and help each other stay strong and, and show unity. So we need to be, you know, basically just, yeah, celebrate yourself, celebrate the people around you and take direct action against the systems that are oppressing you. Absolutely. 100%. Noah? Oh, sorry. I should ask a question. Noah, um, as we as we navigate these uh, this, this rough terrain, I guess the same question that I had for Biff is, is how do we navigate and move forward to ensure our safety and the safety of others and that we don't allow any space for intolerance and bigotry? I think what's important is that we all just network together and it really be assertive, not aggressive when it comes to this. Um, because honestly, at this point, I think going to the level that they're going to is not going to do us any favors. We can't buy into what they're doing in a sense. We can't engage into this hate. We really just need to focus on, you know, getting people together and making this world better. 
And if you like this content, please share, comment, like, and get the word out. Shifting the trans narrative to a more equitable, inclusive, and diverse society will save lives. Thanks for listening. This episode was recorded on March 25th, 2023 via Zoom, created and developed by Caroline Penny in conjunction with Lucy Balsano and Athena Permacus. Athena Permacus and Caroline Penny provided the civic report. Elliot Owen Bay of the Transformation Projects joined, Noah B of the Trans Radical Activist Network, and Bill Hartwell of the Blossom Revolutionaries joined as correspondents. This episode was edited and produced by Caroline Penny. Audio enhanced by Adobe Software, now in stereo. This portion of the Trans Narrative Podcast is brought to you in part due to the Transformation Project, research provided by Athena Permacus and the Transformation Project. Music provided by Athena Permacus. If you'd like to reach out, learn more, be a guest, or are wanting to get involved with the show or your community, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.